0: You are listening to a Natural Products Insider Podcast with Sandy Almandaris, Editor-in-Chief. Turmeric and Boswellia, they're, they're Batman and Robin of herbs. They're both good together, but together they're a powerhouse. But anyway, so millennials obviously want to see disruption in, in all categories, and we are seeing a lot of that. There's lots of talk about millennials. Brought to you by Supply Side East, April 10th and 11th. This is Sandy, and I am sitting with Lauren Israelson, who is the president of the United Natural Products Alliance. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Sandy. We are in... February 2018, and it is a very exciting time this year, as it always is actually in politics. Um, But I am going to talk with Lauren about what we can expect and look forward to in 2018 in the United States. So Lauren, let's start with the the big news that uh, happened last month. Um, Utah Senator Orrin Hatch announced that he would retire at the end of his seventh term. So that goes till so in January 2019 or er, is when he would be out of office. That's right. Um, so we do have a little bit of time, but it is still a, a, a loss for us in the supplement industry. We've expected it because he has been around for a long time. Um, so I know that there, are, there is a game plan, or at least a semblance of one. So what can the industry expect from this, and uh, where do we see ourselves moving forward?
1: Well, it, it is a it is a big loss for us. Senator Hatch has been in our industry longer than many people that are currently in this industry.
0: Myself included.
1: And they remember him from the moment they started. He's always been here like a force of nature, gravitational field. So he will be uh, sorely missed, that's for certain. He's brought a leadership that combines a personal interest as well as the positions of seniority where he's chairs of key committees and has been over the years. Uh, His partnership with uh, Senator Harkin was really historic, and that's, of course, the origins of shape was this partnership uh, between Republicans and Democrats to try and find a solution to this uh, vaccine problem for many years. We'll miss him a great deal, uh, but he has had a one of the longest and most distinguished careers in congressional history. So uh, Utah certainly has a sense of geopolitical leadership. We will continue that. We're expecting announcements from Mitt Romney shortly. We believe that he will uh, run for Senator Hatch's seat. And by all indication, um, it's his seat to lose. We believe that he'll be an equally friendly and supportive um, Senator from Utah. Uh, We believe our um, uh, other Senator, Mike Lee, uh, is also going to expand his level of interest and leadership in the supplement area. And we're looking at other Senate races as well around the country. Arizona has got some interesting races coming up with retirements and the uncertain um, health situation of Senator McCain. So uh, in today's meeting, we were discussing what's going to happen in Arizona. Utah, there will be a big change. We're going to have to prepare ourselves for a different set of leaders going forward. It takes decades to really build the strength of seniority to be able to lead, both uh, have a vision of what you want to do, but then do it.
0: Right. And as you were mentioned earlier today in a, in a meeting we had that uh, the the partnership of Harkin and Hatch was so, uh, was great because it was their bipartisan and how that's not necessarily the landscape that we live in now.
1: It's not. Um, I think we all lament the fact that it's been so difficult to see members of the two parties really be able to work together along with their staffs on important issues. Um, it, it's just, it's the way it is right now. And uh, well, miss Senator Hatch, because he, over the course of his long career, he he really, really uh, worked closely with John Dingell, with Henry Waxman, with Tom Harkin, who were uh, strong leading Democrats of the time. So these are different political times, mm-hmm. um, and we all know that. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty. What happens? Um, you are predicting a possible change of control in the House.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, some think possibly the Senate. What does that mean? Uh, That would be a sea change in many ways. Uh, We've enjoyed a fairly quiet period in Congress for the last few years, but there's always something in our industry that will arise. So constant vigilance is a lesson that I've learned over the many years that I've known Senator Hatch, which was back in 1978, actually, the first time I met him and actually worked for him. And he was a freshman senator in his first year, and who knew that uh, here we are in 2018.
0: Right. Wow. Well, let's. You mentioned the the, the congressional um, elections that you'll be looking at in 2018. So let's. What midterm elections are should we be focusing on, or is NPA really looking at?
1: Well, we're looking at our Utah delegation. We have a couple of important races in Utah, first and foremost, and um, that's always home base for us. It's an 11 billion dollar industry in the state. It's well known that that has been an economic engine of the industry and also a geopolitical um, engine. Congresswoman Mia Love is the current co-chair of the Dietary Supplement Caucus, and she's from Utah. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of continued interest in how to advance issues. Things like, um, why can't we use an HSA card to buy certain supplements? Uh, There's a lot of discussion right now about children's nutrition programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Farm Bill is up for reauthorization, and a lot of the key nutrition programs are built into that bill. There will be a battle over that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so there's there's a lot of uh, issues that have to be worked out this year, and then we're all going to see what we can do in the 2018s in November, uh, but we also see an industry that itself has different minds on politics, um, and we have seen that range manifest, and so we have... Uh, very interesting discussions within the industry, as we do within the country, and that will continue for years to come. Right. My best guess.
0: Right. The industry itself has to have the bipartisan uh, support we, we and do. working together because we, we do. Yeah. Everyone from all political spectrums uh, are in the industry and see the benefit of supplementations?
1: So. We, we, we are a political creature as an industry. We always have been. It's just the nature of where we fit into the scheme of things. We don't really fit into drugs very well. And we're foods, but we're sort of not foods too. So it's that friction point that has always been difficult for FDA to figure out. And FTC has been a challenge for them. And the states have been involved in more recent years. Everyone has an opinion on and how we should be regulated. And yet consumers are telling us with their wallets and their shopping habits is that they want more, not less uh, choices in natural products and mm-hmm. supplements. So our task is to try and make sure that Congress understands that this is a continuing and growing area. They know that. Um, but in the big scheme of things, there are other issues that tend to dominate the daily news. Right. And it's our goal not to be in the daily news.
0: Right, right. Right. So you mentioned the Farm Bill a little bit, but I want to dig deeper into it. As you mentioned, it's up for negotiation this year as the the current bill's funding runs out this year. What is in it or potentially going to be in it that can affect this health and nutrition industry?
1: A a lot of it is seen as somewhat tangential, like the SNAP bill. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a nutrition appropriations bill, and a lot of people on low incomes are uh, provided uh, nutritional uh, support and products and foods within that program. And children's nutrition programs, CHIP, is really important. Uh, organic um, policy is really important. We don't think that GMOs will pop up in the, the bill, but who knows. Mm-hmm. So anything that's agriculture-related, all of the nutrition programs that are involved with the USDA and um, a lot of the welfare funding, that is devoted to food and nutrition is all wound up in this bill. Everyone's got a dog in this fight. So we'll be watching closely. We'll be certainly involved trying to encourage Congress to always favor better nutrition, better choices, uh, and more options. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to see that reflected in organic agriculture policy. One issue that we're troubled by is the continued uh, subsidies for uh, commodity crops. And a lot of foods that we eat, fast foods in particular, are uh, pretty heavily subsidized. And that's why they're affordable. Mm -hmm. It would be great if we had a policy that really supported organic agriculture. And to try to make those products more affordable to people and incentives for uh, farmers to transition from um, present conventional farming to organic and sustainable uh, farming. And that takes help.
0: Yeah, that seems so I mean, excuse me, but it seems so unlikely that that would happen. Is that really possible? It just well, seems like it blows my the, mind. Yeah, I know.
1: You have to hold the vision. If this is yes. what it should be. Uh, will it happen in 2018? No, it won't. Okay. It won't. But it's the, it's the aspiration. As we've really looked at this question of, of who pays for what. And as taxpayers, we are really footing the bill for a lot of the, mm-hmm. the food policies. Right. Every country does this. This isn't unique to the U.S., uh, and it, it's normal, at least traditionally it's been the case, that um, dairy and corn and soy and cotton and other crops are um, enjoy government subsidies. Uh, and that's, that's for policies that make sense at the time, keeping farmers on the land and to, to keep a strong ag- agricultural base. Uh, but if you compare it to when these policies were established, the number of farmers, just the, the number of farmers and their families on the farm is so small compared to what it was fifty years ago. That has changed dramatically. Right. As industrial farming has made it possible to to farm ten thousand acres as opposed to five hundred with the same or fewer people.
0: Right. And when you put it in the perspective of, you know, these are this is taxpayers' money, and then if you look at consumer data on what they are putting their you know, their pocket money into, it's into organic and certified non-GMO and all this other these other things. So it would make sense that if we at least bring this up to the consumers and to Congress members now that, you know, getting this thinking in mind could, you know, maybe not this farm bill, but for the next one. Yeah,
1: I think that's a realistic goal is that as we see turnover in Congress, and there have been a historic number of retirements this year in Congress, a surprising number who are chairs of committees in the House. And, and I believe this is an unprecedented number, which is it now 12 or 13. Um, so either they know something that the rest of us will figure out in time, um, or it's just become quite frankly so demanding to sit in Congress right now. Just because of the tensions and the conflict, uh, I think it wears people out, both at the uh, elected level and the staff level. So if we envision that there will be a lot of turnover in the coming two or three elections, um, we could well imagine that a new generation of of young political leaders we hope we can be talking to now and to say, yeah, it's a big ask, but uh, just imagine where we really rethink how we divide the money in terms of what we subsidize and what we support and what we pay so that we don't pay twice for the same thing. Mm -hmm. If we want to encourage better eating habits... We have to change something. It's the economics that will have to change if we really hope better nutrition will be a, a more broad, universal standard.
0: Right, right. Well, let's turn to legislation that's already on the books, not up for negotiation, the, mm-hmm. the Food Safety Modernization Act. Mm-hmm. Um, how are supplement, fra- bl- supplement brands doing in complying to this, in your opinion, and where are they falling short if they are?
1: Well, the, the first problem is that uh, it is a big, complicated law. Mm -hmm. And it took FDA five years to write the rules for this. And they're now being implemented. This year is the big year, 2018. Mm -hmm. The first problem is just figuring out what parts do we as a supplement industry have to comply with and what part of the industry has to comply. There are two or three key components. One is called PCQI. It's a preventive control quality individual, which is a person who is trained in the new food safety regime. Another key part is the Foreign Supplier Verification Program. It all makes sense in the context that if we're going to have safer foods, we have to know where they come from, who makes them. And if there's a problem, is that we can identify the problem and the hazard in advance and try and prevent it. And if something goes wrong, is that the idea is to dramatically shrink the amount of time it takes to figure it out. We've had some historic cases over the last 10 years, all over the world, frankly, where something goes wrong and it takes too long, and consumers get uh, very concerned. They don't know what they can trust, what they can buy, consumer confidence in foods is vital. So our industry at the moment, I would say, is in the process of figuring it out. Uh, The the traditional leaders, I would say, in the supplement sector are investing the time and the money to train their staff and to review uh, their procedures. The big task, and it's really big, is that for each ingredient, you need to develop a food safety plan for that ingredient. Well, what if you have 50 or 100? Now, this is a daunting task. One thing that we're spending a lot of time on at UNPA is helping to develop and write these case studies, for example, curcumin or green tea, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, ginkgo or magnesium. And ideally is that each of these or fish oil as you identify what could go wrong here. And as you can think about it, every ingredient category will have its own unique problems. Right. And that's the goal, is if we really dig down into these categories and build the food safety plans and then train staff, um, we'll see uh, a significant change in improvement, both in our uh, capacity to prevent hazards, which is the objective of the Food Safety Modernization Act, as well as to train people in these new systems, which really are the forward-thinking approach. And this is, uh, this is a huge change of law, complicated. And FDA has struggled, I think, to keep up the education part of FISMA relative to mm-hmm. writing the regulations where they were mandated to do that. And they were under a lot of pressure. They worked really hard. It was a huge task. It's gonna take some time to really implement this. Um, But those that that kind of get the vision of what is required uh, are really making the investments. And we have a very active training program. Um, And the rules are different here is that you can only train so many people and it's a regimented structure. Mm. And the PCQI course is two and a half days. And it's intense. Everybody's exhausted at the end of this. So this is a big deal. When the company makes a commitment to really have their people trained and to do this fully, you're really talking about a full systems review.
0: Wow. And these case studies that UNPA is putting together for these ingredients, is that something that, that your members can take and then apply to their uh, operations and then have developed their own rules? Is that how they work? It,
1: it does. It, it, this gets a little bit tricky, is that there are public case studies and there are private case studies. And if i won't go into details but you have to make a decision somewhere along the way whether you submit the case study to a third-party organization that's in charge of helping to educate and implement FSMA. it's not fda itself it's a consortium group that was put together after fisma was passed because it was understood that this was going to take a lot of different groups who have different expertise so some of the case studies will make public some we will keep private And it's a pretty interesting decision tree is how you decide which ones go into which Mm -hmm. category. So that's all being worked out as we go forward. So we have about a dozen in process. And uh, we're working with partners on this who are the technical experts. So, for example, with GOED, who was the Mm -hmm. Global Fish Oil Association, we've been working with them on a fish oil case study. And as we've looked at how many case studies have to be done and how many what resources it will take to do this. It's daunting. It really is. And as people really understand the scale of FSMA, it kind of takes your breath away at first. And you realize you have to take it in smaller chunks. Otherwise, it's it's overwhelming.
0: Right. Well, we'll be looking forward to those case studies, the public ones anyway. Oh, yes. (laughs) And thank you so much for uh, talking with me about 2018. It certainly is an exciting time.
1: It is. It's only February, and wow, it's going to be quite a wild ride this year.
0: It will be. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side East, April 10th and 11th in Secaucus, New Jersey.